listening to the Past the Forecast podcast from Wayne 15. Hey there, I'm Adam Slarzik. And I'm Joe Struess. And we are meteorologists at Wayne 15 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And this is the Past the Forecast podcast episode 15. Number we 15. something very special for today. It just so happened to coincide with a, a 10 or a 5 episode, this one. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a perfect landmark a couple months into this process, right? Yes, and it also falls on a very certain day that we'll touch on later. But without further ado, Joe, introduce our guest. Well, he's from Illinois, made his way to Muncie, worked in Lansing for a little while, and now is our chief meteorologist, Nicholas Ferreri. How are you doing, Nicholas? Welcome, Hello, everybody. Nicholas. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, as they say. Long-time listener, first-time guest. There you go. Glad yeah, to be here. Our first ever guest, and of course, we had to bring in our chief meteorologist to be our first guest. And Nicholas, let's just talk about how you got started in meteorology first off. Okay, sure. Well, can we talk about pizza at some point, too? Absolutely. Okay. I, as I said, I've been listening to this, and we got a lot of pizza oh, no. news here recently in Norway. Oh, no. Uh, so how did I get involved in meteorology? Well, as uh, Joe said there, you know, I started delving into the world of meteorology officially when I was a student at Ball State. But when I was a little kid, long before I ever wanted to be in broadcasting, I was putting the TV on mute and I was standing in front of the weather person and doing my own forecasts at home. That was when like I said, broadcasting wasn't even a thought in my mind. I was a little kid just at home with the TV on. What I wanted to do then really was own a grocery store. I that's, thought that's unique. Ferrari's thought, Ferrari's meat market, right? I thought this would be the greatest thing because I would have all the food I'd ever want to eat. And then I knew the secret to success. I would sell it to everyone for a penny. Every item would be a penny. Okay. I thought, this is great. Why is no one in the world doing this? Well, when you're six, seven, eight, however old I was, you don't understand economics, business, profits, anything like that. Um, but, you know, I still wanted to do that till I was about in junior high. I maybe moved off the penny for every item thing, but... Uh, that was still very appealing to me. If you would have stayed with the penny thing, pennies might still be very valuable in your market. All right. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call it? I said Ferrari's meat market, but I mean, if it was a general grocery, Ferrari's... Uh, fresh food? Fresh food. Yeah, a little alliter alliteration there. You know, I never thought of a name <laughs> for the store. Can you believe that? Maybe I did, but I've forgotten it by now. But Ferrari's fresh food... That has a good ring to it. There you go. Lots of alliteration. So maybe I'll get back to that someday. Uh, but yeah, when I went to Ball State, there I was at the school with the great broadcasting program. That's what I was looking for. Because when I was in junior high, one day I was home from school and I was watching Regis and Kathy Lee. And something clicked in my mind and I was like, I want to be like Regis. I want to be a talk show host. And from everything from that point on, I you know, wanted to learn about broadcasting. I'd call up radio stations. I'd call up TV stations. I'd write letters. And in high school, I did speech team. We had a radio speaking category. We had a little high school radio station. Charger did, Nation. Did programs on that. And then I, I went to Ball State, and there we are with this great telecommunications program. And I wasn't sure when I started whether I wanted to do 
news reporting and journalism, or I wanted to do weather, and I could study both. I had always been good in science growing up, and I thought, well, this, this might be a good match for me. And then once I got in, did the student news shows, uh, got my first job as a weathercaster on the student news, and from there on out, I liked my weather classes. It was like, this is the right mold. And so then I just followed that path and had my four years at Ball State, took all the weather classes there, went down to Mississippi State University, got a master's in broadcast meteorology down there. And like you said, Joe, I was off to Lansing, Michigan to start at Channel 10 there, NBC. Some people here in Fort Wayne watched me when I was up there. There were a lot of GM plant workers who at the same time I moved here, moved down here for their jobs. Uh, so it's fun because every once in a while I run into somebody who remembers me from those days. So that's been kind of fun. So you've been here, you're doing this. We recently celebrated the 10th anniversary of the Weekend Morning Show, which was your first job here at Wayne, the first time the show ever started. You were the first Weekend Morning Meteorologist. We talked a lot back then during the program how you've seen that show grow, but you use that show as kind of your launch pad to grow here at Wayne. So let's kind of reflect. What's, what's been some of your, your favorite achievements here in the last decade? Well, I think one of the the best parts about being on that show, the Weekend Morning News, when I came to take that job, it was really exciting to come and launch a brand new newscast. And that was at a time, that was 2010, that was at a time when, you know, the economy was also going through some rough times. TV stations were not adding newscasts. It was just a time where people were going along as they were. So to add a newscast was a big deal. And my job in Michigan, I worked mornings and nights on the weekends. So I did like four days worth of work in two days. So it was a real long shift, long days. Um, I learned a ton, but I was really looking for something that would be a little bit more normal um, on my life, on my body, all those things. And so to come down here to Fort Wayne, still close to family here in the Midwest, in Illinois, uh, close to some friends from Ball State, get to do broadcasting and get to do just one shift on the weekends and start something entirely new to start something where we were doing not just the regular old news and weather, but as you know, Joe, having guests, doing other segments, that kind of scratched my little uh, itch, you know, my Regis Philbin, the little part of me that loves Regis Philbin, and to get to do those other segments, to do interviews, to kind of expand outside of the Weather Center and kind of, you know, hone my broadcasting chops in, in that realm as well. Then, of course, do other things during the week the live shots, the being out at the festivals, um, you know, covering weather in other ways than just the weather casts. So that was just a big reason to come here to begin with. And then you think about all the things that we've seen in 10 years. We've gone from standard definition in our old Wayne 15 set, the old News Channel 15 set, with which many podcast listeners will remember, to HD. And seeing the whole construction and that process was incredible to be in the building as we went from the old set to the new set and changed the way we broadcast. Uh, then we had the eclipse. Remember the eclipse of a few years ago? That was fun. Uh, we, of course, have had, had a lot of stormy moments. We've had a few tornado outbreaks along the way. Um, we've had the hot, hot summer way back in the early 2010s. We've had the cold, cold, record-setting winter. We've we've run into that a couple times over the <laughs> course of the past 10 years. And they've, Bring been it on. they've been brutal at times. Um, so in, in that 10-year span, you see a lot of ups and downs. In the weather world here in northeast Indiana, northwest Ohio, you also see it just in terms of changes here at the station. And so many new faces. You know, I can look at, well, who was I working with 
10 years ago and how many people are still here? How many people have gone to this city or that city or moved to a different career? You know, the different meteorologists we've worked with. And you know, that's fun and that's exciting as well. So you look back and you say, wow, I can't believe 10 years flew by like it has, but, but it really has. And I think, you know, we did good work here at channel 15 then, and we're still doing it now and we're taking things you know, to the next level. Like you guys are doing with the podcast here. And you mentioned tornado outbreaks and we'll bring you in here because it's exactly one year to the day that we had the outbreak on Memorial Day. Let's, let's talk about, uh, it was me and you doing team coverage. Right. Yeah. And let's talk about the experience that we had because we don't really do wall to wall all that often. Not nearly as much as they do, say, in the Plains or in Dixie Alley down in the South. They do that maybe three times a year. We don't do it all that often. Right, exactly. And here we were, it's Memorial Day. You know, we come in, we had a chance. We knew there was severe weather potential, but it was, again, one of those days where you don't know that you're going to end up with multiple tornadoes touching down. It wasn't a day like there are days when we do our forecasting, and it's one of, this is one of the most challenging things about severe weather is that so many times you go into a day and you know, okay, the ingredients are here for there to be bad storms, for there to be tornadoes, for there to be floods, hail, high winds, whatever the risk is. But then so much of the time, it's a waiting and watching process. And a lot of times you can have almost the same ingredients and you can have different results. You can have a day where nothing happens. Then you can have a day where, like we had, multiple tornadoes touch down across northeast Indiana. And I think back to Memorial Day, and you, I think one of my biggest concerns on that day was, that if tornadoes happened, if we got into the severe weather pattern, would people be paying attention? It's Memorial Day. On a regular day, people are getting home from work. They're going in and out. They've got the TV on. They're watching our newscasts. They're paying attention to their phones. They're, you know, they're on the computer. They're at different sources where they are tuned into this weather information. But when it is Memorial Day, where yes, we have the severe weather risk, but it's not, you know, there aren't alarm bells going off everywhere. There aren't, um, it's not a, terribly gloomy, ominous day. I mean, for what I remember, it was a pretty nice summer day. Otherwise, outside of these storms. So it's easy for people to say, oh, it's just, I'm just going to go about my day. And if there's a storm happening, it's just a normal thunderstorm. How do you get people to make sure they come back to TV or to the Wayne Weather app or to wherever they go for their severe weather information, make sure they stay safe? So that was my biggest concern when I think back a year ago is, okay, this is happening, but are people paying attention and are they near some, some device, something where they can get our, you know, Wayne weather information. And I remember that day specifically because that's the day after the 500. Yeah. And I was doing a story on the guy giving out the milk it was from our area. Yes. Great. Story. I had a Key normal Hertz, reporting yeah. day and I was in at nine. And as the day went along, we started to get the better idea that it was, we, we got upgraded to enhanced pretty early on in the day. So level three out of five. And coming back into work, because we had a quick conversation like, do you want me to come back? And you're like, if you could, because it was starting to pop off towards our west. And I remember coming right back. I went home for 30, 45 minutes, kind of reset, grabbed something quick to eat. And as soon as I got back, we were rolling. There were tornado warnings just outside of our area. And if I remember correctly, there were three different times over the course of the roughly three hours we were in wall-to-wall -wall coverage that we had three different tornado warnings. And 
it was to me, I had never done anything that long for tornado coverage and have that many warnings all at one time, different times throughout the night. Right. And that's, that is the big challenge for us as meteorologists is keeping track of all these things, keeping track of how, what's this storm doing? You know, what is it producing? What reports are we getting on that? Then, oh, something else is developing. Let's, let's go over there. What's happening with this one? And still keeping an eye on the rest of the area too, where there might not be much going on yet. Yeah. And the important thing is the teamwork. So it just so happened that it was me and you, Joe would have been able to fill in in any position, but you were on the wall. I was driving as we say the radar. So anytime that we needed to zoom in on something, I was usually pulling in. You would just ask me to pull something up and that's what I was pulling up. Right. You're very good at that. That's a skill But people at home. I don't think realize that that is a, a big skill because you're, not, you're not only listening to me and you're doing it on the technology. You're also keeping an eye on other things for me as well, because when I'm at the wall, I can't see all of our computers. I can't see all of the reports. So, you know, you're balancing a lot in your mind. So I tip my hat to you and to Joe when he does it with me, because that is not an easy job. And that I'm just I'm just sitting over there saying, zoom in, Adam. What's the track on this? You know, and you're very good at picking up on that. We're also sitting there listening for the dings. Yes. Of our one of our sources to get information from the National Weather Service. And anytime there's any kind of debris or confirmed damage, stuff like that, a new warning, we see it immediately on there. It comes with a little ding. So as soon as we hear that, we're like, oh, we got to find wherever this is. I feel like that noise like haunts me at other times in oh, my life. Oh, for yeah, sure it does. It's almost like when you hear a, you know, a text message, you hear that little ding and you're like, just like Pavlov's dog, like tuned into <laughs> what is that? Who is, who is mes- messaging me? Like, but then there are other times where... It's almost like that phantom ding. Like you think, did I hear it? Is did something? Did some new report come in? Did some new warning come in? What What is this? And like you could just be at other points, and you're like, or you wake up from a dream. Like, was there a ding? What What is that? <laughs> is something going on? It, it's It's definitely, especially after days like that, where you hear it so many times, you'll go home and you'll think you hear it, and you're like, you, you twitch a little bit, waiting to see if there was. Oh no, that was right. It was just. A noise outside. Right. Because it is a noise that we hear when we're talking about this. We, you know, a lot of times the ding is coming from our weather chat room that we as TV meteorologists sit in with emergency first responders, the weather service meteorologists, uh, transportation officials from INDOT and, and places like that. And so it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people will remember, you know, AOL Instant Messenger or Facebook Messenger and someone gives you a message and it dings. That's, that's the alert we get. But it's the same ding for most things. So it can be a rather run-of-the-mill report. We get a ding, no problem. Or it can be warning is issued, and then a little bit bigger of a problem. Yeah, and so let's go through after we do the wall-to-wall. Afterwards, it's like uh, right around shortly after 10 o'clock, I believe, we still got 11 o'clock news to do. And we have to pull in, we have to talk to our producers, try and figure out exactly how we want to break this down. A recap, but also show damage pictures and how important are viewer photos or videos in this time. Yeah, we love viewer photos. Uh, they really show us what's happening, especially in this instance. You know, a lot of the tornadoes we got on that day, you know, we were talking about over in Grant County, um, you know, what we were watching Wabash County, Blackford, Wells County. Um, you know, those are not places we can get to from Fort Wayne right away. So if we wrap up coverage at 10, to get a crew out there and back or just get them out there and send videos, photos back. I mean, it's 
it's not going to happen to make the news deadline. So when people are out on the scene, they really are eyes and ears to confirm what has happened. So when they can take a picture and do it safely and send it in and let us know, you know, that is a value to us, obviously, to show other people what's happened, happening and what has happened, but also to us as meteorologists to know, hey, yes, something actually did happen because we can see a lot from radar and we can know all the signatures that we see. We can see the warnings from the Weather Service. And we maybe see some spotter reports, but it's hard to tell whether what we saw on radar, the storms that we know were there, actually equated to damage. And I think if you think about some of these tornadoes last year, you look at the reports and the strength that these were, um, the time that they were on the ground, the winds produced. Yes, there was damage in some spots, but we really lucked out because if those had been in bigger cities, bigger parts of our area, this would have been an even bigger story than, than what it was. And that's not to downplay any of the people who were affected, who lost property. Um, but it's just to emphasize that it, it could have been a much worse day than it was. Yeah, there was, I remember the, uh, there was one storm came in from, it had a tornado warning whenever it was in Miami County. And then it diminished in strength, but there was still a hint of rotation when it made its way into Allen County there was still that rotation and it was looked like it was tightening up a little bit. And my, my home is on the Southwest side where it was starting. I'm like, Oh, if this continues to turn one, it's going to be impacting me directly, but also there's a lot of people in that area of Allen County. Now, once you get outside of Fort Wayne, it gets quite rural. And I think that's a, a benefit in that scenario that we were in that those tornadoes that touched down in our area, were mostly in rural areas. Like you said, right. there was damage, there was property damaged and people impacted, but it, it, it was on a much smaller scale than what it could have been had it, say, hit on the southwest side of Allen County. Allen County. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question there. There's no question there. I mean, you look at some of these from last year. I mean, we had that uh, EF3 rated tornado on the damage scale, 150 mile per hour peak winds. You know, that was the tornado where we saw the dairy farm being impacted. There were two injuries there that we know of, but 170 cows killed or severely injured. I mean, so many equate that to, a, to, to people. If that had been a building with people in it, you know, that would have been a much different result. And, and this is the same line of storms that also produced the one that was in Salina, Ohio, which was in a very populated area. Right. And I had the privilege, but also... Uh, it was also unfortunate to go down there and see all the damage and all the people that were impacted down there because that was, I believe it was an EF3 that moved through. And I'll never forget those images of those homes because it's something that I had never experienced before. And to see all that damage in neighborhoods and how many people were impacted was eye-opening for me to actually be transported from something I've seen so many times through the TV screen for me to be actually there was uh, a, a day and a moment that I will never forget in terms of the people I talked to. And everybody there was so helpful and, and kind and uplifting, even though they had their lives uprooted. Isn't that amazing how people do react? You know, it's hard for us to go out on the scene, to be with people on what is 
one of the hardest days of their lives when they're affected by these storms. And then we're there with our microphones and our cameras because we have to come back with a story and we have to tell people what has happened. Uh, people are generally, I would bet you to agree with me, are very understanding. Um, and sometimes I think it's surprising that they say, oh, yes, come, I'll talk to you. I'll, yeah. I don't know if I would necessarily want to talk to somebody after, you know, I'm spending all this time cleaning up my property and trying to process what has happened. But I think a lot of people do find the value in talking about it and letting letting the area know just how powerful these storms were. And I think our hope in going out and covering things like that is that people understand it's part of our jobs here at Channel 15 that we're here to keep you safe. So when we're on the air and we're talking about those warnings, so often we run into people who say, I was okay because I heard on the news that there was a warning and I needed to take cover. And so that helps us feel good about the jobs that we do and, and when we're doing those you know, long extended periods of coverage that people are finding value, that, that our work is paying off in, in safety from, uh, from people. But so oftentimes the people who are affected want to tell others, yeah, you better listen to these things. Because sometimes we run into people who say, oh, I thought, I thought I knew what was going on. I thought I was paying attention to the weather, but then this just happened and I really should have been watching TV or have something on my phone to you know, give me an alert or have one of those radio weather radios that you're always telling me about. Um, that was the year. That was the time when, when you were out, was that Salina where you were out with those people in their home? You did that live shot yes. from their home. I mean, that was just, I remember that was so that was like fantastic weather television coverage because that was the damage. Like th those are things that we don't see. We, we see them in other places. You know, when CBS news shows coverage of storms, somewhere else you know you see these homes destroyed you know you see it you understand it but it doesn't have the same impact as when it is someone here in the local community and like you said for you to be there in person you know can you tell the podcast listeners you know go back you were walking through their home going through the damage what did you experience on that day i was just trying to be out of the way that was my biggest concern that these people as you mentioned it's it's one of the hardest days of their lives and this was actually day two. I didn't go down there the first day. We had another reporter, but the second day I was down there, they're still cleaning up. And I, I was just trying to not be in the way or be a hindrance to them and just try and walk up to them and just try and be comforting. Because I think whenever you talk about something like a, a, a tornado tearing through your home, it's a little bit cathartic just to talk to somebody. Even though I'm a news person and I'm, ultimately there to tell a story. I'm trying to tell those stories of people that made it through. And so I was there to, uh, like I said, my main thoughts were to be out of the way, but also try and get the story and try and tell the story the right way. I didn't want to uh, try and sensationalize. And it just so happened that I found a, a couple that had the roof blown off of their house and the room that they were in they showed me where they stayed for shelter was basically untouched. They stayed in their bathroom. So the rest of their house completely obliterated. And the room that they were in, it was just the perfect way to say, this is what happens when a EF3 tornado moves through. But if you get to your safe place, like we always tell you, you have a great chance at making it through it. And that's one of the big points all three of us attended, or no, it was just Joe and me last year at the uh, meeting with the uh, Weather Service. That was one of the points. We had this conference um, 
and there was a tornado, like an expert in communication was talking, and she said very, you know, simply, pretty much, tornadoes are very survivable if you take the right precautions and you do the safe measures and you're in a sturdy structure. You know, a lot, we have a lot of people, and understandably so, very scared about tornadoes, very scared about storms. That is one of the key things to remember. If you're doing all the right steps, kind of very similar to where we are with this time of pandemic. If you're doing the right steps to protect yourself, your odds at surviving are so much better. It's a, a great conversation. You got something to say, Joe? Am my mic still on? Yes. Yeah, we don't, we're not trying to <laughs> leave Joe been, out of this. This has been wonderful to but, listen to. But Joe, what, you know, Adam and I were here in the studio. We have all this firsthand experience from last year. and Yeah, no, I, I've heard it from both you guys multiple times. And I have to tell you, I am, the day that I get put in that situation, I hope, uh, hope I can live up to the kind of coverage you guys did because it was really good. And I was in a weird situation that day because we had a tornado come through my hometown. I was out of town for Memorial Day back home in Chicagoland, and we had a tornado come right a mile from my house, passed right over my middle school. And you talk about some of the tornadoes that can be on the weaker end that would still do significant damage. This was, I believe, only an EF0 that came through. But you could see the path that came through, and it did some significant damage in Dyer, Indiana. So, just to your point, and that was not a huge tornado. It wasn't right. on the ground very long. So, right. I remember seeing that post from you on Twitter. It's like, well, here it's going. Joe is in the midst of it. He's not here in, in Northeast Indiana. I didn't mean right to, now, but he's in the midst of it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Can't we got a guy on location out west. Yeah. Yeah. That so, was frightening. You want to uh, hit us with our past the forecast inbox question? It's the past the forecast inbox. Whoa, I get to be here for the inbox. You're here for the inbox. Yeah, we got to get the question done. Then we got to start having some fun with Nicholas. In okay, here. oh man. We're on the clock. <laughs> but the question first is from Evan. What is your severe weather prep like? Oh boy. Well, I think the severe weather prep, now, of course, each situation is, is different. Uh, but I think generally the severe weather prep, you know, we're, we're looking at, all of us are looking at this setup for, well, what? What's playing out? Do we have hot, humid air in place? How unstable are we? What's going on? Is there a cold front coming through? Is there a warm front coming through? What time of day is this all happening? Um, and we're looking at that a couple days in advance. So there's step one. You're looking at it so you're not surprised by what's happening. Then, okay, then the day gets here. You're looking at not just the model data as to what could happen. You're looking at what is happening. How is the day panning out? Is this a day where we have uh, some rain in the morning that uses up some energy in the atmosphere. Then the sun comes out in the afternoon, charges charges us up again, or it doesn't come back out, and we're not seeing the energy rebuild. You know, giving us a better chance or a lesser chance of seeing rain and storms. So, how are the fronts progressing? Um, we're all using different websites, you know, from the government, from private forecasting agencies to see, you know, what is having to monitor what's going on. And then, of course, we're tuned in as stuff starts to develop. We're really looking at what's happening here. We're paying attention to spotters out in the field through our weather chat room. We're getting the reports from the weather service. Uh, that's kind of the mix of, of all things on my side. What do you guys do? I usually, uh, if I know there's severe weather coming in, I make sure to be logged into chat. And the second thing I make sure is that my, uh, we, in our program for weather graphics, we have different hits as we call them. I make sure that my severe weather hit is ready to go, has everything I need, and is all updated. And so uh, if we need to go on at a moment's notice, 
I know that that's there, but everything else that you said, pretty much the same. I don't sleep. I don't eat. <laughs> I'm frantic. I end up coming into work 30 minutes earlier than I'm supposed to. I'm talking to producers saying I need extra time. I haven't gotten to the level of comfort you guys have just yet with a severe weather day, but we'll get there. We'll yes, get you there. will. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I can say I don't know that the level of, uh, I hate to call it discomfort, but maybe the increased blood pressure, the increased yep. heart rate ever fully goes away because no. each situation is different. You don't know what's going to pan out. Is it going to be, you know, there could be severe thunderstorms, you know, they're developing, but is it going to be just a run of the mill? Hey, we get a thunderstorm, it moves through, no one's harmed, no properties damaged, or does it become something more significant? And sometimes, especially around here, a lot of our severe weather events are more borderline in nature. What I mean by that is there are events where we can get storms, we may not get them, or the ones we get may be pretty powerful. It's sometimes not as clear cut as like places in traditional Tornado Alley where they can get days where the, the, you know all the signs are pointing to some big outbreaks and you know big things happening. Our signs here can be more significant. I can be less clear but still significant. Right. You know, so it is going back to that waiting and watching. And so because there is so much waiting and watching, you do have that and uh, that anxiousness of can I take my dinner break? Can I, is it safe for me to just run down to the break room and warm up some food? Or am I going to miss a warning in that time? I can tell you, I do not remember those three hours. Oh yeah. All that vividly. I only remember that there were three different times with three different warnings. And other than that, it was all a blur, even right after it happened. Cause I was nervous and anxious before while I was driving back in. Cause I knew that we were going to probably have some stuff. And there was already, I think a warning for our area whenever I got here. And by the time it was over, I was like, oh, that was that was three hours and it felt like 15 minutes. Yeah, I think I got scarred from my first ever severe weather coverage when I was in Michigan because it had been, I'd been working there for about a year and there hadn't really been any severe weather on the weekends. And it, we were in the midst of a big downpour, big storm. And someone came into the studio where I was watching everything and our door was just right outside the back. And it's like, oh, you've got to come see this the storm you've got to come see this what's happening in the parking lot so i did i walked out of the studio and in that time in that one to two minute time room, that's when the warning was issued and then people are coming down saying we need to get on the air why aren't you in the studio well i had just walked out for one minute to see because they had pulled me to say you got to see this and then that was the time so now i always have those thoughts of is it okay to leave the studio that that is not left me. well Let's move on to something not as serious as severe weather. Okay. Let's talk about pizza. That's All right. You came in uh, here, you Nicholas, want to talk Nicholas about pizza. Nicholas wanted to talk about pizza. I don't know why. And Was that know. on your agenda already? Or no, no, no. Okay. Well, we bring the, I bring this up as I come into the Past the Forecast studio, a you know, very special studio here at Channel 15. That's right. It's a closet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've listened. I'm an avid listener of, of this podcast. You're doing a great job with it. So you come up with this nice mix of creativity, fun, weather information. I hope the podcast fanatics out there are loving this. We hope so, too. Because it is. I never know what you guys are going to talk about. And I learn about you through these podcasts, too. So oh, no. I enjoy that. <laughs> no, but uh, Joe, Joe loves talking about, well, he's talked about pizza a couple of times. That's because Joe, he's from northwest Indiana, Chicagoland area. Like me, pizza is a big deal. 
That's right. And so we come here to Northeast Indiana, and I, I listen to Joe is like listening to me when I moved here to Fort Wayne because I understand all his dilemmas about pizza because his thoughts are exactly right. Okay, his thoughts are exactly oh, right. Oh, no, no. Chalk what have you done? done? Is a W. You have told Joe he is right, and that is a dangerous mistake. <laughs> well, he's looking for a good deep dish pizza, and that is a logical thing because that is the one thing that I really miss from not being back home in Illinois. Where do you get this? And there are a handful of spots around here who serve deep dish pizza. Deep dish pizza is different and is not necessarily Chicago style. As Joe has previously explained, I mean, I hate to harp on this point, but for the people who didn't hear the earlier episodes, let's talk about it. The real deep dish Chicago pizza is served with a layer of cheese on top, a layer of layer of sauce on top of cheese. Correct. There is no layer of extra crust in between the sauce and the cheese that's underneath. Some places add that in and try to say it's Chicago. No. Some places put a mozzarella on, have like two layers of mozzarella or other type of cheese. Try to say that Chicago. No. And so I bring this up because we're just coming off of, you know, recent in recent days on Wayne 15, we reported about the closing of Amore's Pizza. And I don't know, I mentioned that to you, Joe, but I don't think, have you ever gotten a chance to try Amore's Pizza? Didn't get a pizza? chance to go there. And I don't know if they're still open. This is uh, when we reported it, uh, we were talking about that's where the new Greeks pizzeria will come in and take over. But Amore's, there on DuPont Road, made real Chicago deep dish pizza. And so it's a little bit of a punch in the gut to lose that. Yet, I am a Ball State Cardinal like Joe. So now Greeks Pizzeria is coming. And there is some nostalgia tied in with Greeks from being a student and being there on campus. So I have a, you know, I have a little, yes, there's a tear in my eye for the loss of the deep dish. There is some excitement about Greeks, but I just wish that they would be in two locations so I could enjoy the different different situations require different pizzas. Do you agree with that? Hundred percent. Because you have I the Michigan agree, yes. pizza, Jets yes. pizza. You would Jet Jets. Yeah, pizza. Oh, Jets so is, is phenomenal. That a square. That is the Detroit style That's pizza. Square. Yes, it is square, and the cheese is overrated. In a... <laughs> Did I insult your pizza preferences when we talked about this earlier? No. So do not insult mine, square. please. Pizza's a triangle. Pizza's actually a circle. A slice is a triangle. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. What do you think? Well, the one point I'd like to add in, instead of getting into that, I can tell Adam <laughs> that Jet's Pizza made a move into Chicago because my parents had one nearby, and then they got it, and they liked it, but then it closed. Okay. It's and a different style. It's, it's not for everybody. It's a different style, I think, and people in Chicago have a hard time accepting another style, just as I would say sometimes people here in Northeast Indiana, the sometimes the stuffed Chicago deep dish can be overwhelming. Yeah, Jets and, and Detroit style has a, it, it's a, it can be a little bit uh, denser of a bread or yeah. a, a lot more bread than uh, other pizzas may right. have. But equally enjoyable. Yes. I like that the best part of the corner piece is with all the cheese on the, mm -hmm. on the side. That's it. Not a fan? No, I just, you know, for me and Nicholas, you bring up the Chicago style. Not a big Chicago style fan myself because, as you know, in Chicago, in Chicago land, 90% of the time when you order a pizza from a local little pizza joint on the corner, it's a circle cut into tiny squares. Right. The square cut. The true Chicago style. Yes. And you can find some people around here, if you tell them to cut it in squares, they will cut it. But 
you will also run into people who say, what do you mean? Oh, man. I did it squares. See, I thought we were talking about slices. That's why I brought up triangle. Well, but is a is a little square in the middle of one of those pizzas, is that a slice or is that a piece? I think traditionally it's called a slice. In my mind, I could understand a piece of pizza See, being a square. I think a slice has to be a triangle. That's what I was saying. Right. So but we're in agreement. Well, I think so. Okay. We usually are. <laughs> well, I, don't, I think like you're it. in agreement, but I don't think that's what you were saying. But I think you are yeah. in agreement in the point that you're making. Because Joe was talking about the squares. Right. Yeah. You're saying the square is a slice. I'm saying a triangle is a slice. Triangle yes, right. is a square slice. Square can be a slice. Square is a piece. Piece, yes. I agree. We okay, are so well, we've solved now. all the pizza problems <laughs> of the world. Yes, we have. Thank goodness. Anything else for our guests? Oh, yeah. We got plenty of okay, questions. How much time do you have, Nicholas? I got time. You got time? Yeah. yeah. Who is your favorite member of the Wayne 15 <laughs> Live Doppler 15 oh, Fury Weather Team? Oh, I told him gosh. not to ask this Now one. you know I cannot answer that. <laughs> you each have your own individual strengths and a great qualities about you okay that's why the team works so well i think we balance each other out in a very good way what is your most memorable maybe slightly embarrassing moment on air that was funny because sometimes we've seen you like to have fun on air sure yes dancing with the the halloween graphic you and tara and dirk always going back and forth was there ever a time that you tried something like that that maybe was a little embarrassing memorable but maybe a little embarrassing Oh, oh, here I can. Oh, I can give you a couple things. Some of these will go back to the um, weekend morning news. Here I got a couple for you. I've done. I think a lot of times in my television career, I've come up with some creative ideas, done creative things. One time, I got this great idea. We were just starting our weekend morning news. It was coming up on Easter. I thought, what a great way. You know, we know viewers love sending us photos. And, you know, Easter was coming up. So I thought, you know, at this time, now, Bob Barker had already retired from Prices Right, but it had not been that long. So Bar- Bob Barker used to always have Barker's Beauties. The models were always referred to as Barker's Beauty. So here comes Easter, and I'm like, aha, I have a great idea. Viewers are going to love this. It'll be fun. Uh, gonna, we were going to have Nicholas's Bonnet Beauties. So people, because I know I love a lady in an Easter bonnet. Oh, okay. and I had right. something about it. This, this is, yes. So let's, let's get all the ladies to send in their Easter bonnets. Well, I guess it should have dawned on me. I thought Easter bonnets were a little bit more common than the reality. I guess, you know, it was 2010. Uh, apparently, Easter bonnets had gone out of style long before. But I don't know. I felt like always on Easter, you'd see people. You'd go to church. There'd be people, maybe not any other Sunday of the year, but you'd see them on Easter. So they were going to get some good pictures. And, you know, we got a few pictures, um, but it was basically little little girls in bonnets. Nice, fun, but I thought we were going to get many pictures. I thought, I had, I thought this was going to be a great viewer, uh, s- great segment with viewer interaction. Right. It did not turn out that way. Okay. So that was a little bit of a flop of a segment. Yeah, it swings and misses. It's okay. So yeah, it's and misses. Yeah. So yeah, okay, that maybe that was that wasn't so funny. Um, then we had a time. This was I enjoyed this. Then we had a time when the Philharmonic was coming and they were doing something. It was music, but they were also having like circus performers, almost like a Cirque du Soleil. So they were like acrobats and, and things. So they bring me in. They say they come in. These two guys. Um, picture this. Too bad this is a 
audio podcast. Two Polish acrobats. Now, I'm half Polish, so this is up my alley, you know. Two Polish acrobats come in, and they're, okay, and they're just wearing, they're in their acrobat tights, you know, muscular guys. They're going to show us, they're going to demonstrate their acrobatic prowess on the weekend morning news to promote this show. Then they say, Nicholas, you know, we're going to, we're going to pull you into this segment. Um, You know, don't worry, we're going to make it look like, you know, we're balancing on your head, but we're really not, you know, we're going to put the weight on the other person. So think of it, it's like a guy on the bottom bottom row and then me so there's two of us and then the third guy's going to put his hands on top of our heads and like do a handstand on top of us so that's what we do so then i'm sitting there and i'm waiting for this guy no no one tell that's all they've told me about this segment so (laughs) i would need more information then they well you know i this is live television i live for this and so I'm just ready. And then like the guy goes to try to balance on my head. And then I don't realize, you know, yes, they are making it. I, I guess he was putting more weight on the other guy, but he was still put putting weight on me. So I had to quickly like learn, oh, I actually do have to stand here and support him. And, you know, so he doesn't fall. So he doesn't get injured. And so I don't get injured either. You know, they're putting out all this hundred pounds of force on my head. Um, it was a fun segment to watch because I don't know that my co-anchor, I don't know that anybody in the control room, they all kind of knew I was participating, but none of us knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, luckily, we were all okay. No one was injured. The acrobat, oh my gosh, you could have injured the acrobat. The, the right. Performing at Philharmonic that night, uh, everything ended up okay. All right. All right. Those are good stories. Good. Yes, they are. And I'm sure we'll have you back on here whenever one of us is inevitable. You got one more? I got tons more. You got one more? What? What's one thing? We'll close with this. We'll close with okay. this for the listeners. One thing that the people at home, they've seen you for a decade in Fort Wayne now. Maybe they have a feeling about who you are because, again, the crosstalk with the anchors. But what's one thing that you're okay with sharing that people don't know about you that you find interesting? What could it be? Oh, man. Now, that is a challenge. I mean, Sierra exposes everything about me on the weekend. Right, morning, yeah, so you can't hide. I can't, can't hide at hide. all. Well, I think, well, let's talk about the things that they probably do know. They, I hope they know I'm not a very good singer. Tara is always trying to make me <laughs> sing, and she knows I'm not good at singing, and she is so good at singing. So I love to hear her sing, but she always trying to make me sing. So they know I'm not a good singer. They know I like Regis Philbin. That's right. They know I like Chicago pizza. <laughs> what? Hmm. <laughs> This is really tough. Because you don't really, there's not too many things that I think us as on-air personalities try and hide. Well, right. A lot of us. <laughs> right. A lot of us, what you see is what you get. I, I mean, I can tell you, well, again, now here's something that I bet people know. I like cooking. Because yeah, right. I used to cook on the weekend morning news. But that's something you don't, the viewers now during the week don't always get to see. I was lucky I got to come back for the 10th anniversary and cook again. But I've been cooking like crazy in this uh time of coronavirus oh yes oh man i did the banana bread i did I took, doing all these new casseroles just made a sloppy joke casserole ooh, with tater tots ooh. i'm coming over um the <laughs> pasta i mean yes all these recipes i've been waiting to make i've been i've been catching up on we know you're an avid listener of the past the forecast I am. podcast i am has it stumped you that has stumped me i mean i'm a big uh, maybe one thing I think this slips out at times, but I probably don't talk about it too much. I'm a big, like, TV fan. So, like, TV trivia, TV theme songs, I think that comes from being in broadcasting. 
Like I'm big into TV history and how broadcasting has changed over the years and how shows have changed and um, things like that, like documentaries about TV and Hollywood and, and facts and, and things like that. I really love that. And I think that would be something people, you know, every once in a while I'll make some reference to some TV show to something and just in passing on the news, but, but we don't really talk about um, that. I really like, I would consider that if, if I had another area of expertise, it is TV. Movies a little bit, but mainly mainly TV. Like when I get the entertainment category in Trivial Pursuit, like, Golden. all right, thank you. <laughs> yeah. When I watch Jeopardy and I see those people, and we all do this because we all have our own areas of expertise, they get some question in a category, and it is something we clearly know, and those Jeopardy contestants, I mean, we love them. They're smart people. But when they don't get the question that to us is so obvious, we think, what is wrong with these people and the people on jeopardy watch this watch this 7:30, channel 15. they nice get work. a tv question those contestants always steer clear most part they must they don't don't obviously watch tv as much as the rest of us and they i am amazed sometimes by the things that they don't know about television because that's my that's my area of expertise same thing goes for sports yes it, it, it's amazing that's how they, your wheelhouse. They'll, they'll they'll miss those easy answers and they miss a whole category chief meteorologist tv historian chef you spent some time at the fort wayne zoo yeah oh uh, some viewers remember that a couple of years wild doing the wayne, wild right? at wayne segment and that was a lot of fun all kind of good that stuff was a lot of fun nicholas this was a lot of fun uh, thank you for having me glad to be here continued success with this and i will come back whenever you need me yes we will definitely be having you back and we will see you next time as we try and be pick a number. Just pick a number. 26%. Right about the weather this week. <laughs> I hope we'll be better. This has been Past the Forecast Podcast from Wayne 15. Wayne 15.